Um, if you have your Bibles, you turn to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to just look at a, a, a few um, verses of scripture from uh, what's known as the, the Beatitudes. And we've been looking at um, spiritual maturity. We looked at what spiritual immaturity was Sunday morning. And then we looked at how to develop certain aspects of our walk. We looked at boldness on Sunday night. You know, how to be bold when it comes to speaking and telling people um, about the gospel message. Boldness in our supplications when it comes to praying to the Lord. Boldness in our suffering that when things go wrong in our lives, we can use that as a testimony to other people so that they can see Christ in our lives. And then we looked at uh, faithfulness and being faithful in our walk with the Lord, being faithful in our work for the Lord, being faithful in our worship to God, working on our steadfastness. And then we, you know, we looked at um, Daniel's life and uh, we looked a little bit um, at uh, some of the, the New Testament uh, characters and we saw how they were steadfast, that they were dependable, that they were trustworthy. We looked at courageousness, uh, how to be strong and of good courage and to, to stand in the power of God's might. And we realized that we can't live this Christian life in our strength because it is tough. It is tough to live a Christian life in a, in a world that is so anti-Christian, um, anti-God, anti-Bible today. And then last night we looked at truthfulness, how to develop um, our tongues, how to use our tongues for the glory of God. You know, it's easy to tear somebody down. Uh, it's a lot harder to build somebody up. And we looked at the aspect of using our tongues in the right way and how we ought to be um, truthful. And tonight we're going to look finally at selflessness. Uh, and we see that in the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. And we're just going to read a few verses starting in verse 38. Matthew chapter 5 verse 38. The Lord said, Ye have heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that ye resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any man will sue thee at the, the law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn not thou away. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for this day. We thank you for this church, for this ministry, Lord, and for, uh, for pastor. We thank you for all that you do for us. We thank you for the opportunity to gather in this place through this week, Lord, as to come around you a word, to fellowship, not just with one another, Lord, but to fellowship with you. So, Father, we pray tonight as we come to the closing part of this week's ministries that you would just speak to our hearts. And we pray that this wouldn't end here tonight, that we would take the word of God and we would continue to apply it to our hearts and to our lives and that we would continue uh, applying that for the rest of our Christian walk. Father, I pray you'd help each and every one of us to grow in spiritual maturity. And if there's one here tonight that has never accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, if there's one here tonight who doesn't know where they would spend eternity when they draw their final breath, and I pray you'd speak to their hearts tonight so that they may know that there is a heaven that has been prepared for them if they would just trust the Lord Jesus Christ as their saviour, confessing their sins unto thee and believing in the Lord Jesus Christ and his sacrificial death upon Calvary. So, Father, I just ask that you would speak to our hearts tonight and we'd be mindful to give you the glory for it. We pray and ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. We live in a, in a world today where everyone is concerned about rights. Movements have been developed for civil rights, women's rights, children's rights, workers' rights, prisoners' rights, 
and so on and so forth. And the principles given here go against the grain because what the Lord is saying is, in effect, to become selfless, we almost surrender some of those rights to be in compliance with what the Lord is asking of us. And this section of the Sermon on the Mount has to do with the response when we've been wronged. And I'm sure it's safe to say everybody here at some point has been wronged by somebody. Whether that's somebody outside of the church, whether that's somebody inside the church, at some point we've been wronged by somebody. And how do we react to that? You know, the natural reaction is to lash out. The natural reaction is to allow the flesh to take charge and to take control. So how is a Christian who is indwelt by the Holy Spirit supposed to react when we've been personally offended? And this is something that every one of us needs to work on in terms of spiritual maturity and the aspect of selflessness. Because we live in a world which basically says, fight back and get revenge. You know, we want to get even. Even now, you were past this thinking, right, what can I do to him now? He made me drink out of a vase. How can I get one up on him? You can't, because the Bible says you can't. So you've got to let it go. Just saying. Selflessness is difficult because it goes against the grain. The selfishness of our society has made us consumed with what can we get? What, can, what, are, what, what, what do we deserve? And that's how we're taught. I want, I want, I want. That's become our motto. Uh, James 4 at, uh, verse 1 says, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your own lusts that war in your members? Ye lust. And ye have not, ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not because ye ask not. We tend to fume and to fight with those that frustrate us. And the Lord more or less says that needs to stop. You know, we are in a battle, but we're not in a battle against one another. Ephesians says we, we wrestle not, we battle not, we fight not. Close combat, not with one another. But with powers and with principalities, our battles not with one another, our battles against the devil. So what does it mean to be selfless? How can we work on that? Well, first of all, in order for us to grow in spiritual maturity, we have to learn to turn the other cheek. That's what the Lord said. You've heard that it has been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That's what the Old Testament law said. But I say unto you, ye that ye resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek... Turn to him the other also. You know, we, we have that phrase, don't we? And we even use it today. If we want to get even with somebody, well, it's an eye for an eye. Um, that's what people say when they want to take revenge. Uh, and we see that that is uh, how the Old Testament law operated. Uh, this is the law of retaliation, the law known as lex talianos, law, retaliation, revenge was carried out to the utmost extremity and more evil was returned for the evil that was already exacted. The human vengeance is never satisfied with justice because that human condition can't be satisfied even if we had our pound of flesh. And here's my question to all the road ragers in the congregation today. What are you actually going to do when you finally catch up to that person? You know, we see people shouting at one another in the car and getting all red in the face, and then they pull up next to the traffic lights with one another, and they go, 
I know what to do now. I've seen so many videos online where somebody's aggravated with a driver and they kind of get out of the car and they go up to the window and then they're like, I've never actually got this far before. But uh, we're never satisfied, do we? Even if we have our pound of flesh, even if we have our revenge. But we need to understand that God restricts vengeance to himself. If you've been wronged in this life, you don't need to get revenge because the Lord said he will repay. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. Hebrews 10.30 says, For we know him that has said, Vengeance belongeth unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. So what does turning the other cheek mean? Um, the Lord said, I say unto you, that resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. There is a lot of misunderstanding and misconception about this phrase, turn in the other cheek. Let me tell you what this phrase does not mean. It does not mean that the Christian is to be a doormat. It doesn't mean that the Christian is to be walked all over. It does not mean that we are to be negligent in resisting or opposing evil or wickedness. We're not meant to be trampled on. We are to resist Satan and his work, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world, 1 Peter 5, 9 says. It does not mean that we are to encourage or even assist crimes to go unreported. It doesn't mean that we turn a blind eye to things. It doesn't mean that we are to embrace or to yield to sinful living. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he shall flee from you. Another misconception is it does not support pacifism. Pacif- oh my days, why can't I speak? I couldn't get my words out yesterday or the other day before. It does not support pacifism. Um, so, you know, it doesn't mean that church discipline is wrong. This passage doesn't mean the way to offer no opposition to evil men when they threaten our families. This does not mean that protests of unkind conduct are prohibited. This was demonstrated at his own trial, where, you know, when the Lord was, was stood by there and was struck with the palm of the hand, the Lord Jesus himself said, if I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil, but if well, why smite us thee? So it doesn't mean that we just to stand back and let people walk all over us, but Christ didn't strike back with his fist, but he did strike back in terms of his words and protests the officer's actions. So what then does the Lord mean when he says to turn the other cheek? Jesus is describing here an intentional, calculated insult. An insult can be done more than just by a physical strike. I need a volunteer. Don't all rush up at once. Because if nobody volunteers, your pastor's coming up. Okay, pass them all. Come and stand and face the congregation. <sighs> now then, most people are right-handed. Okay, now in biblical times, there weren't a lot of left-handed people. That's why Ehud, the judge, was an anomaly because he was left-handed. Now let me ask you a question. How am I going to strike the pastor's right cheek with my right hand? Because if I was to strike him with the palm of my hand, he would catch the left side of his face. 
So when the Lord Jesus Christ said, those who struck thee on thy right cheek or for the other one also, it either means that the strike came from behind or it came from the back of the hand. Oh, it's tempting. <laughs> okay, you can sit down. Thank you. So the Lord is specific when he said, if somebody strikes on thy right cheek, to offer the other one also. So that is an incredible insult, to be struck on the, the backside of the hand, um, to strike across the cheek. That is just showing the level of insult that can be uh, sent to somebody. Uh, that backhanded slap. In Christ's time, if you really wanted to insult somebody, that's exactly what you would do, a backhanded slap. Uh, and according to rabbinic law, to hit somebody with the back of the hand was twice as insulting as hitting somebody with the palm of the hand. The back of the hand meant a calculated contempt or withering disdain for a person. It meant that you were insulted, that you were vilified, that you were scorned as an absolute nobody. You were considered as worthless or nothing. And when we understand that custom, when the Lord said, if somebody strike thee in the right uh, side of the cheek, Turn to him, the other also. Understanding that custom helps us to understand what the passage is talking about. It doesn't happen very often. I don't know how many of you have ever been slapped across the face. I think I'm looking forward to a slapping when I get home because my wife texted me last night because I didn't realise she was watching the service online. And I gave her a bit of a pasting last night and she just simply texted and said, stop picking on me. Stop telling people about my sale shopping. Leave me alone. So, whilst I've never been struck across the cheek yet, that might happen tomorrow when I get off the plane. Um, so, it might not happen to us very often that anybody slaps us across the face, but there are times when we are insulted to a point that it hurts incredibly, that we are read, And you can, like I said last night, you can say something to somebody and absolutely destroy a person by their words. And what we want to do, we want to lash out. We want to retaliate. We want our revenge. And Christ, when he spoke of being slapped on the right cheek, was describing an incredible insult that comes because of one's faith. When he says to turn the cheek, it's an illustration or a principle to live by that says, I'm not going to retaliate. I'm going to leave this in the hands of the Lord because the Lord will take a far better vengeance in that regard than I ever could. All we will do when we retaliate is we lose our testimony. You know, we... It's easy for us to see red. It's easy for us to, for that red mist to come up and for us to lash out irrationally because that's exactly what we want to do because that's going to make us feel better. And it might make you feel better for a split second. And then you realize the fact that you've lost your testimony, that you've then said things that you can't take back. Like we said last night, once that's out there, once those words come out, they are never coming back. Avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. If somebody's done you wrong and you've tried to put it right with them, you don't need to exact revenge. 
because the Lord will deal with it. Because that's what his word says. If we are to grow spiritually, we have to learn to turn the other cheek. It doesn't mean that we are prepared to be walked all over, but it means we're saying to the Lord, okay, Lord, you deal with this situation because I'm about to lose my mind. (laughs) And then the Lord goes on in terms of us being selfless, not only turning the other cheek, but going the extra mile. And again, this is something we've heard. You know, we get everyday sayings that we use all the time that actually come from the scripture. Eye for an eye, you know, a leopard changing his spots, the skin of our teeth. Go in the extra mile. So what does it mean when the Lord said, and whosoever shall compel thee, go go a mile, go with him twain. Now, if I was to say to you, or if if an employer was to say to you, you know, you need to go the extra mile, what would that mean? It would simply mean going above and beyond what you are already doing. You know, putting that extra bit of effort in. When the Lord said, uh, said, and whosoever shall compel thee, the word compel um, is a Persian origin and it denotes a compulsion by the public authorities for a public service. Now back in these times, post offices were uncommon. Uh, you couldn't just walk down to the, you know, to the little red box in, in Bethlehem and post a letter. That wasn't how it worked. They, you know, they didn't have a postal service. It's quite a new thing. Um, but in order for a royal command to be delivered... Um, Cyrus, the Persian, would station horsemen at proper intervals on all the public highways. And then if a, a message needed to be passed on, one horseman would come to another, would pass the message on, and then that horseman would go to the next one and pass the message on until the message had been uh, communicated. Now, these heralds, they were permitted to compel any person to pass that message on and it could be a, a, a horse a boat a ship or vehicle anything that they needed they could use for the quick transmission of the king's commands and this is the custom that the lord is referring to so a roman mile was a thousand paces so when the late, when the lord said to go twain he's obviously talking about two thousand paces um, at the time Christ spoke these words, we know that the Jews were under Roman bondage, under uh, Roman government. The Romans made slaves of the Jews, and one thing they made them do was to carry their burdens. So, for example, if a Roman had a pack on his back and he came across a, a Jewish person, he could compel that person to carry his pack for one mile. And they said that Jewish um, children would actually have a mile marker placed from their home in any direction so they would know exactly where that mile ended. So as soon as they got to that point, then they were able to turn around and say, I'm not carrying that anymore. Here, Christ said that that type of attitude wasn't a Christian attitude. If we are to grow in spiritual maturity, we have to understand what it means to go the extra mile. Now, we understand that none of us want to be failures, and we understand that in our lives we want to be successful, whether that's at home, in work, in our Christian walk. So what does it mean to go the extra mile? You know, the one thing that used to frustrate me before I went into the ministry, um, I, was a, I was an aircraft engineer, and um, at one time I had a, you know, quite a few hundred people um, that I was responsible for um, on a particular shift. And the one thing that used to frustrate me was when people didn't pull their weight. So I worked on the shop floor, so I knew how long it took to put a particular engine part together. So when somebody would try and pull the wool over your eyes and say, oh, yeah, you know, 
It's going to take a while. You knew exactly how long it took. And I really frustrates me when people are shirkers. Because I don't like that. So as Christians, we ought to go the extra mile in work. You know, we ought to go above and beyond. Colossians 3.17 says, And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. We ought to put the effort in. We ought to put the, uh, you know, the effort in at work. Why? Because that's a testimony to somebody. That's a witness to somebody. You, you wouldn't want uh, somebody to turn around and say, can't trust that person. They're so lazy. It's unbelievable. Are we a type of person that can be trusted in work? Are we the type of person that somebody looks at and says, oh, do you know what? Their work ethic is incredible. You know, they, they go above and beyond. And they... Because the goal is not to draw attention to ourselves. And even if we get passed over for promotion, it doesn't matter. We still put the effort in because we're not working for the boss. We're working for the Lord. In all that we do because we're meant to bring glory to him. We always succeed when we go the extra mile, when we put in that extra effort. You know, when Thomas Edison was a little boy, his teacher sent him home with a note pinned to the back of his shirt. And the note said, please keep this boy at home He is too dumb to learn. Thomas Edison. If it wasn't for Thomas Edison, we would all be sat here right now in the dark. Because he invented the light bulb, just in case you didn't know. Do you know I worked for Thomas Edison? Because Thomas Edison started General Electric, and that's the company I worked for. So I would always love that when I say, I work for Thomas Edison. I mean, he'd been dead for years when I started working for G, but... You know, when he died, he left over a thousand inventions... Mr. Edison once said, um, somebody referred to him as being a genius, and he replied by saying, genius is simply 98% perspiration. What he meant was, it's not the man with more brains and more talents, it's simply the man who's willing to give the job everything he has. And that's what we ought to do. In all aspects of our lives, is to... To give 100%, to go the extra mile. You know, Paul said uh, in 1 Corinthians 9, he said, uh, lest by any means he would be declared a castaway. And a castaway, well, let me ask this question. What do you think of when you, when you hear the word castaway? What's the first thing that comes to mind? And there's probably one name that's coming to your mind right now. And nobody's willing to say it in case they're wrong. And I've heard somebody already whisper it from the centre of the church. Bagpipes. Oh, Tom Hanks. Yeah, Tom Hanks. Um, I thought it was bad place. <laughs> Not very well. <laughs> we saw last night that I can't speak Welsh very well, and I certainly can't speak English very well. Um, yeah, we think of Robinson Crusoe or, or Tom Hanks in the film Castaway. We think of somebody on a desert island. But a castaway is, is quite an interesting term. So before the Olympic Games, you had something called the Isthmian Games. And what would happen then is, during those games, you would have a herald. And as they were were running a particular race, the herald's job was to find out who the castaway was. And the castaway was anybody who didn't give their all. That was a castaway, somebody who didn't give 100%. And if they were, you know, sometimes you see somebody running a race and you think, they're not putting their effort in you know they just they know they've lost the race now so you can see them backing off when they come around the home stretch like ah oh, 
that guy's winning, so I'm not going to bother. Well, they would be disqualified from the Isthmian Games because they'd be declared a castaway. And that was a great shame because just like in the Olympics today when somebody wins a, a gold, silver or bronze medal, their flags are displayed and they sing the anthem. And it was exactly the same back in the original Games. They'd have the laurel crown, but they would go across to their head of state, to their king, and they would lay that crown at their feet because they won that crown for their sovereign. And it's the same with us. You know, we're not meant to just put 100% in. We're meant to go the extra mile. We're meant to go above and beyond that and give it our all to go the extra mile uh, in work, to go the extra mile at home. First uh, Corinthians 13, 4 says, Charity, and that's the, the highest form of love, that agape love that Christ had for us. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not, charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Do we put that effort in at home? You know, the the one that the Lord has, has given us for us to spend the rest of our lives with, Do we put that effort in? Do we go the extra mile? And that's the men of Crescent. I've given the women such a hard time this week, girls, and I'd like to apologise, but it's not within me. So I'm going to ask the men a question now. Men, how many of you have ever forgotten your wife's birthday? Anybody ever forgotten their wife's birthday? Anybody ever been like on their way home from work and suddenly thought, better call in the petrol station and grab some flowers. And you know, at the end of the day, those flowers, I mean, they're not the best in the first thing in the morning in the petrol station. And the flowers, like, they're, you know, they're all a bit limp and they're, you know, falling over and the colours don't really match because people have come through the day and they've, like, mixed and matched the flowers and you're like, oh, that'll do. Anybody ever done that? Nobody willing to admit it? I don't know how I find out now. Can I find out if Joe is watching online? (laughs) I didn't actually forget her birthday, but it'd been a busy time and I had to rush out quickly late at night. She is watching. She's just texted me to say... (laughs) She's just, just sent me a picture of a very disdained look. So I've never forgotten my wife's birthday, but you, a pastor, did um, one time forget his wife's birthday um, because he'd bought her a gift um, for her birthday, which was happening the day after, and that got cancelled, and then he thought that that was the day of her birthday, and he forgot her birthday and went out the night before and grabbed something from the petrol station. But I've never done anything like that. Ever. We wouldn't really want to act like that all the time, would we? Because if we did that all the time, if we did that at Christmas time, if we did that for every birthday, if we did that for, you know, whether we were getting um, our wife something for Mother's Day or, and we just kind of said, oh, I, you know, just get something on the sale rack, just get something quick, just get, what does that say then about our love for them? We're to go the extra mile. 
You know, actions speak louder than words. Actions mean everything. It's no good just saying, I love you, and then not acting like you love them. We meant to go the extra And you know what? Our kids see that. They see the way in which we treat the woman that the Lord has given us to spend the rest of our lives with. Um, there's a, there's a, an advert back in, in Wales, and it was to try and encourage people um, to stop smoking. And what you would see is you'd see a mum uh, at the sink and she's washing dishes and then it pans across to a little girl and she's um, stood right behind her mum and she's in her, her toy kitchen and she's washing the dishes. And then it, it pans to, to dad and he's mowing the grass and there's a the little one following behind him with a little toy lawnmower pushing uh, the lawnmower behind him. And then it pans to mum and dad walking down the street smoking and behind the two little kids are following mum and dad and they are pretending to smoke and what they were saying basically in the advert was you are children watch what you do and they'll act the same way that you act so if our kids were to see you know um, their mum you know having no respect for, for dad then that's how they would, would treat women if, 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 or if treat men if they're girls and if they see dad disrespecting mum and not loving her as they should then that's exactly um, how the boys would view treating women. I, as much as I give my wife a hard time from the pulpit, she means everything to me. She means the world to me. And I want to demonstrate that love to her every single moment I can. Not when I'm preaching, that's different. That doesn't count then, because when you're preaching, pastors are allowed to say whatever they like about their wives from the pulpit. You learn that in pastor school. But I love her. And I would do anything for it, including shopping. And you know how much I hate shopping. And I would go shopping with her because I love her. No, we're not going shopping tomorrow, love, because I'm flying home and I'm going to rest and the rugby's on. But you demonstrate your love. So the Lord is saying to go the extra mile. Go the extra mile in work. Go the extra mile at home. You know, it's, there's lots of things that we can do to demonstrate that love for the person that the Lord has given us to spend the rest of our lives with. Go the extra mile in your Christian life. Ask and it shall be given. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. Let me ask you this question. How many of you want to see your loved ones saved? You know, my, my desire is to see my brother come to know the Lord as his saviour. Now, we grew up in church. The both of us grew up in church. We, we both went to Sunday school. My brother's seven years older than me. And, uh, you know, mum and dad um, on a Sunday would always um, send the both of us to school, uh, to Sunday school. And he would, he would take me. And as we got older then, and uh, my, my brother um, moved off, got married and, and moved away. And I kind of you know, went down um, the road of going to church and ended up getting saved. Uh, And my brother never did. And I would love to see my brother come to know the Lord. But our loved ones are the hardest people to talk to about the Lord because they don't want to know. You know, my life changed completely when I accepted the Lord as my saviour. I was on a destructive path and I was really out of control. Um, I'd always gone to church, I'd heard the gospel, 
I attended church as a, as a teenager, was a member of a church, even got baptised without coming to know the Lord as my saviour. So all I did was get wet. And I was in a dark place. And then I met my wife, who had become a Christian at the age of 14. And she took me to her church. And for the first time, I heard the gospel. I never doubted Christ existed. I never doubted that he was... God, I never doubted that he died on the cross. I never doubted that he was virgin born. But that's not enough to just know that. I had to believe it and accept it. And there came a point where I recognized that my sin would take me to a Christless hell. And that petrified me. My sin was placed upon the Lord Jesus Christ on Calvary. He died in my place so that I could go to heaven. And when I accepted the Lord as my saviour, my life changed. And we ought to go the extra mile in our Christian lives. We're not to just go through the motions. You know, we're not meant to just come to church and fill up a pew uh, every now and again. We're not meant to just kind of breeze through life and read our Bibles every now and again. We're meant to make a difference in the world. And we want our family to be saved, but sometimes we kind of pray for them half-heartedly and then think, oh, well, we'll just give up. You know the amount of people in church, uh, we, we had a few ladies whose husbands were unsaved, and you know, time and time again they would say, you know, Pastor, can we pray for my husband? Pastor, can we pray for my husband? One woman prayed for her husband for 27 years. 27 years. And there were times when I'm sure she thought, oh, is this worth it? But she went the extra mile and she prayed and prayed and prayed. And one Sunday I had the privilege of leading that man to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he got saved. And every year on the 16th of January he praises the Lord because he celebrates a new birthday. And God took that man, turned his life around. He's now a deacon in our church. He's actually looking after our building project, and every, nearly every day he will text me with a Bible verse. Every day this week he's texting and said, Pastor, I'm praying for you. Uh, Pastor, I'm just uh, you know, praying that you bless the church and the church blesses you. And the Lord just changes lives. But that's somebody that goes the extra mile, somebody that you can see a life has been changed and has such a desire for, for him to see his brother saved. Don't give up on praying for your family members. Just keep going the extra mile. When you've done all you can, keep doing all, all the more. Just keep praying and praying and witnessing and speaking. And don't ever give up. You know, we say we want our church to grow. And are we really praying for revival to break out in the church? We want the church to grow, but are we willing to make the sacrifices ourselves? Are we willing to put the time in ourselves? Are we willing to, to, for the Lord to do a work in us first? That just means going the extra mile to go above and beyond. You know, the, the problem with the modern day church is that Christians only want to go one mile, and they don't even really want to go one mile. You know, we went for a, we went for a walk today uh, in Newcastle. And I'm sure Newcastle in the summer is lovely. This is the first time. Now, I, I come from the valleys in Wales, so we have a little bit of wind in Wales. It's the first time I've ever been for a walk where I've walked like that. 
It was so windy, I've never seen anything like it. Pastor said to me, you know, pride is a terrible thing. Pastor said to me as we were getting out, I forgot my hat and my scarf and my gloves. I thought, oh yeah, it looks quite nice. So Pastor, do you want a, do you want a hat? No, do you need a hat? I'm from Wales, man. And I've got, you know, there's a lot of surface area in these years to get cold, and they were cold. We walked just over a mile. That's the longest mile I've ever walked in my life. It was freezing. I couldn't wait to get to Maud's to have a cup of coffee. I wanted to go to Morelli's, but he wouldn't let me. He wanted to go to Maud's, but there we are. But sometimes we can be like that in our Christian walk, where we think, oh, this is just too much of an effort. I didn't enjoy the walk. I did enjoy the walk today because the company was lovely. Hazel was lovely. (laughs) But I wasn't equipped for it. If I had my bob lad on and my little ears, well, my little ears, my ears were covered, I'd have been okay. But it was freezing. I was ill-prepared, so I didn't really want to go the one mile, let alone the extra mile. The problem with the modern-day church is we're not even willing to go the first mile. Why? Because we are ill-prepared for the walk. God's given us the equipment we need. Paul said, put on the whole armour of God. God's given us everything that we need to be perfectly equipped to not just walk the one mile, but to go the extra mile as well. And we should go the extra mile when it comes to praying. We should go the extra mile when it comes to giving. We should go the extra mile when it comes to witnessing. Only God knows what could happen to the church today if every single one of us as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ not only went the first mile, but that we would go the extra mile as well. Can you imagine what the church could be like? Can you imagine if each and every one of us got that fire in our bellies that we were ready to not just go one mile, but the two, and then the next mile, and next mile, and next mile. Why? Because we're serving such an incredible God. And he can do great things through us. But we get excited about a whole host of things in our lives and yet church can be quite boring. Church is not meant to be boring. And I know it's not meant to be boring because God has created church to bring him glory. I'm excited when it comes to going to church. I can't wait to get to church. I love being in church. I love being with God's people. I love preaching the word of God. I love telling people about the Lord. Let's get excited for the things of God. Because when people look at us, if they look at us, they say, where are you going tonight? Oh, church. Oh, i got to go. i got some guy in from Wales. i better go. You know, pastor's relatively new. He's only been in a couple of months. And perhaps, you know, he'll spot who's not there, so we better be there. We ought to say, oh, I can't wait to go to church. Not because of who's speaking, but because of whose presence is going to be here. Let's go the extra mile. And let's see what the Lord can do in our churches. Can you imagine if each and every one of us just said, right, Lord, that's it. I'm going to go the extra mile in work. Let's grow in spiritual maturity. Let's go the extra mile at home. Let's go the extra mile in our Christian walk so people can see that Christ makes a difference in our lives. It's not that we've found religion. It's the fact that we're in a relationship with a holy God because of what his son did upon Calvary. And he's changed our lives. So let's go the extra mile. It's not about 
us. It's about him. And the sooner we realize that this Christian life is not about us, the sooner we realize that we have to be selfless in this walk, the quicker we can bring glory to him, the quicker we can go the extra mile in work at home and in our lives. We can go the extra mile when it comes to praying, when it comes to being in church, when it comes to witnessing, when it comes to being the believer that we need to be. I'm going to leave you with this thought. No, I'll speak it. It's <laughs> one person got in, that's great. Let me ask you this question. What would the church be like if every believer was like you? What would the church be like if every believer was like you? Would the church be on fire for the Lord? Would the church be well attended? Would the church be a praying church? Would the church be a church that kind of just about scrapes through because we're doing the bare minimum? What would the church be like if every believer was like you? Would the church be a church that goes the extra mile, that puts the effort in? Because he's worth the effort because of what he's done for us. If the church, if the whole church was like you, like me, if every believer was the same, how many people would get saved? How much time would we spend in prayer? Would the church ever grow? There's plenty of areas of our lives that we can work on when it comes to spiritual maturity. And if anything, this week, we've started the whole series backwards. Because it all starts with a selfless attitude. If we are selfless and we're willing to go the extra mile, then everything else will fall into place. We can start to grow in the area of truthfulness, in courageousness, in steadfastness, in faithfulness, in boldness. And we won't be the immature believer that we spoke of on Sunday morning. Church, being a Christian is exciting stuff. God has got exciting things planned for the church. And until he calls us home to glory or until that trumpet sounds, we've got a work to do. Sometimes we need to grow up first. Each and every one of us has an area of our lives that we can work on for that spiritual maturity. So let's grow. Because when we grow, then we can go. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for this day, for this time together, and for this opportunity to be here this week. Father, I just pray again that if there's anyone here who has never trusted Christ as their saviour, that tonight would be the night that they'd call upon his name. Father, we recognize that life is but a vapor. We're not guaranteed tomorrow we could leave this place tonight and this could be our final moments on earth. Father, if we were to leave this earth without trusting Christ as our Savior, then hell would be our home for eternity. But God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So Lord, I just pray if somebody's here tonight or is listening online, 
that has never asked the Lord Jesus Christ into their hearts, that tonight would be that night that they would recognize their sin separates them from God. They would recognize that Christ died on the cross for them and they would trust him as their savior and call upon his name. Father, I just pray for those who are a child of God tonight that you would help us to grow, Lord. There are areas of our lives that need work. We understand that. So, Father, would you help us to grow? Would you help us to be the type of believer we have to be? And would we be challenged that if the church was exactly like me, would the church be one that brought glory to the Lord or would the church be one that would simply do the devil's bidding for him? So, Father, help us not to look at one another and point out faults in one another, but work on our lives, work on our walk, so that we might grow to walk in spiritual maturity, that we might bring glory to the Lord, that we might point sinners to the cross, and that we might see the church be the powerhouse it needs to be in this day and age because of the darkness in which we're surrounded by. Father, we just pray and ask these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Saviour. Amen.